Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, we're so glad that you're joining us here this morning at Ajax, Bowmanville, Porperi in the province of Ontario, and to many of you now who are watching around the world, welcome to another week in our spiritual gift conversation and series. If you're joining us for the first time, let me just take a moment to quickly summarize where we've been and where we are. Spiritual gifts are not natural gifts that you acquire from birth or genetics, nor are they acquired by skill, life experience, or your education. They are gifts given to you by God when you become a follower of Jesus. They're about serving God and serving others. Now, a summary we've been using, written by a guy named Bobby Clinton, about all 21 gifts is this. There are love gifts, word gifts, and power gifts. Love gifts demonstrate the love of God in practical ways. Word gifts clarify the nature, action, and purposes of God. Who God is, who he's not, what he likes, what he doesn't like, what he invites us into, what he says no to. And power gifts demonstrate the power, presence, and reality of God. You know God is real, and God is in the room when these gifts are used. Now, this week, we're going to move from the love and word categories to the power category, the the power gifts, and and we're going to especially today talk about faith, discernment of spirits, and miracles. Now, I know some of you have been waiting all this time to get here. You're like, yes, finally, it's power time. And others, you're like, no, no, I don't want this one at all. I left a crazy church to came here to escape, and now this is taking place. Others of you are like, what are you talking about? I'm a seeker. I know nothing. Is this a cult? You can ask me to stick out my tongue and tattoo. No, no, it's all fine. Nothing weird is going to happen, at least that way. So whether you're seeker or skeptic or believer or long-term follower of Jesus, no matter who you are, I'm going to ask you this morning to lay down your ideas and your hopes and your histories. I'm going to ask you to be open-handed with your theology. All of us really need to be really careful about our expectations. We've got to ask God to deal with the fear that sits in the room every time we have this conversation. All of us need to be honest about control and embarrassment. We need to lay down the good and very bad experiences we've had in other churches and even this church and just let God's word, the scriptures, speak and form us together. Now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, now, to each one, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given for the common good. That's why we get spiritual gifts. And he lists a group of gifts to another faith. And then later he says miraculous powers. And then later he says distinguishing between spirits. So let's start with faith together today. Now, faith, by the way, let's just work this out. Faith for Christians means informed trust. It's not pie in the sky. It's not, I hope this is true. I've got no proof at all. It's not blind leaping into nothingness. It is informed trust. Now, all Christians, if you are a Christian, and most of us are, we have had the experience called faith. The scripture is clear about faith. Hebrews 11.6, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe, A, he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And of course, if you've become a genuine follower of Jesus, that is, you have been saved, then that happened through the act of faith. Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace that you get saved through faith, informed trust. This is never from yourself. Faith is a gift of God, not by works, so no one gets to 
to boast. So if you're a Christian today, you've had a faith encounter. And that's what this means. It means that you have decided to move your informed trust from yourself or from another religion or another worldview, whether it's evil, neutral, very religious, or secular, and you've decided that you're going to put your informed trust in and on Jesus. See, salvation is the opposite of religion. Religion teaches us that God, whoever it is out there, might notice you if you're good enough, loving enough, dutiful enough, and if you are deeply religious and do all the actions, then maybe he'll like you. Now, humanism and atheism and agnosticism teaches the same thing in a non-religious sense. I'm good in my life. I find purpose in my life. I find meaning in my life through sex, money, and power. By what I do, I can achieve these things. Now, here's the amazing thing. Though atheism and religion fight each other, at the end of the day, they're the same thing. Because at the center of religion, at the center of humanism, is you, is us. I achieve what I want by what I do. But the offensive and life-giving message of Christianity actually is you're both wrong. We put our faith in Jesus alone, in his work alone, in his word alone, because we're acknowledging, not because we're better than anyone else. We've just realized we don't have it in us to impress God, find God, or find purpose in life. We don't have enough to bridge the gap. So Jesus comes for us, and we put our informed trust in one who is better than us. So that's what faith is in the overarching sense of the Christian faith. It's trusting God, his character. It's his revealed will. It was Elizabeth Elliot years ago that said, faith is not instinct. I love that. It's not, certainly not a feeling. Feelings don't help very much when you're in the lines and are hanging on a wooden cross. And faith, by the way, is not inferred from happy way, the happy way things work out. It's an act of will, a choice, based on the unbreakable word of a God who cannot lie, who shows us what love, obedience, and sacrifice means in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that's salvific faith, but that's not the spiritual gift of faith. This is different than walking your Christian faith out in your life. So the question is then, what is the spiritual gift of faith? Here's how two different people have really well, I think, organized the thoughts. The gift of faith refers to the unusual, keyword capacity of a person to recognize in a given situation that God intends to do something and to trust God for it until he brings it to pass. The gift of faith, another road, is the spirit-given ability to see something that God wants to do and sustains unwavering confidence that God will do it regardless of seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Now, this gift, by the way, is key to any local church. These people are not so naive as some of us have thought in the past. They are God-inspired. They are actually the faith and the lifeblood of a local church. They always, and you'll know you have the gift of faith if you resonate with this, you always say, well, God can do anything. I've got no problem with that. But more than believing God can do anything, not just intellectually, but it's down in your gut, you also know God wants to do not just anything, but that thing. Many of you want to believe. Many of us want to have faith. But life and history and personal loss and church politics and bad decisions we've made and unmet expectations have made you cautious at best, jaded in the middle, or unbelieving at worst. Many Christians think right, but they're atheists in their thinking and in their functioning. Don't forget, the purpose of faith, the the reason for faith is God and his glory. Now, there are hundreds of examples of this gift throughout the Bible and church history. One of the most historically known, which is now being generationally lost, is a man named George Mueller. 
And there's how one person summarized his amazing life that took place in England during the Industrial Revolution. It's all documented historically if you want to go read it. The person writes almost every book that discusses the gift of faith, refers to the life and ministry of a man named George Mueller, who by faith operated an orphanage in Bristol, England. He cared for 10,000 orphans over a period of 60 years, receiving $5 million in the process. By the way, that's in the 1800s. He began to work with two shillings in his pocket, without once, this is critical, without once ever making known to anyone his needs. He received enough money to build five large homes, able to house 2,000 orphans at a time, and feed the children day by day, all by faith and prayer. Never once in the 60 years did they ever go without a meal. Often, and this is recorded, often the children would come and sit down for lunch or dinner or breakfast, and the pantry was bare, and George George Mueller would stand up and say, Lord, we know you're going to provide. In faith, we ask in Jesus' name, and there'll be a knock at the door, and the food will come every single time. Now, that's an incredible story. 60,000 orphans were fed and loved because this man had the gift of faith. Now, you know that you have the gift of faith this morning. If you're like Joshua and Caleb from the Old Testament, you're like, we're going to take the promised land, and God's promised us, and it doesn't matter if there are giants in the land, we're going to do this. The rest of us are all back here like, well, we're so glad that you have so much faith, but we've done the analysis, and the fortresses are quite large, and we've had a committee meeting, and and the giants are well-armed, so we've just decided together in Jesus' name to die in the desert. Uh, Amen. And everyone else with the gift of faith is like, come on, don't you believe God is who he is? Don't you believe God can do what he wants? Those with the gift of faith are unwavering, hope-filled, confident, steadfast, full of unnatural, unhuman peace. What a gift you are to the rest of us doubting people who love God but still want to die in the desert. People with the gift of faith bring oxygen into the room. They blow out the staleness of unbelief. Now here's some symptoms others have identified. You have an unusual desire to accept God's promises at face value and apply them in given situations until God fulfills them. And let me add, and you're looking around not knowing why no one else is with you. You can receive a vision of some future work of God and deeply trust in God for it until it comes to pass. You hear a God-given vision from a leader and you're like, yes, that is going to happen, but that one over there isn't. You have a reoccurring experience in the midst of various situations to sense that God is going to do something unusual even though most people around you don't have that kind of assurance. You have an unusual desire to know God in his fullness, to be cast on him and him alone to solve your problems. You, you love the thrill of knowing time and time again that God is real because he and he alone specifically in detailed ways keeps intervening on your behalf and meeting your needs. You have an attitude that declares not only God can do something, he will do that something in that situation. In fact, if you have the gift of faith, much of the time you know God has already done it, you just need to show up over there and do it. Now it's interesting, I don't have this gift. And as we've been talking to some of our newer staff, they were really shocked. They're like, but John, you, you're so intense and you're so confident and 10,000 and God speaks to you. I'm like, yeah, you don't know the backstory. See, yes, I do have the gift of leadership. Yes, the Lord has spoken to me about my role here and what I'm supposed to do. That's called the gift of leadership. But I do not have the gift of faith. I've got it like minus 100. So I walk home and I'm depressed and everything's wrong and I'm terrible and I'm not, the church isn't doing and how are we going to reach 10,000? Boo-hoo, I don't know. And I'm so, uh, and my wife will just sit there like this listening to me when I do this. And I'm like, I don't know if God talked to me and I don't think this is ever going to be fulfilled and it's in Canada and it's too big and I'm not good enough and we don't have enough money. And she goes, John, did God talk to you or not? And I'm like, well, I'm, John, 
Did God talk to you or not? Yes, he talked to me. And what did he say? Well, 10,000, that's right. Wash the dishes, put the kids to bed. God's gonna do it. We're done. Thank you. Mike. Yeah, great. No gift of mercy, but lots of faith. Now, what I love about this, and this is so important that we see this, especially you watching in some other churches, this is so critical. Isn't it amazing that this is demonstrating interdependence? Most people say, oh, John, he's so confident. No, we need, we're all in this what? Together. I love that in our own church too, Dave and I who work so closely, right, as co-lead pastors in this community, he also has the gift of faith. And I love how God in his sovereignty has surrounded me by oxygen that I need all the time because I always feel that it's never going to be done. But there's a word of caution for many of you that have faith. Some needed understanding because actually there are dark sides to every single gift. Another pastor and thinker years ago wrote this, and I found this so helpful. People with the gift of faith are usually more interested in the future than they are the past. They're goal-centered, possibility thinkers, undaunted by circumstance, suffering, or obstacles. They can trust God to remove mountains because the Bible says it. They're like Noah, build an ark on dry ground, face critical, criticism, no problem. They know that God is going to bring that flood. But people with the gift of faith are often highly irritated by criticism. Much more, for example, than those that have the gift of teaching. They cannot bring themselves to understand why any good, loving Christian around them would criticize them since they have such a complete assurance that God is going to do this thing. So they start interpreting criticism of them as criticism of God and therefore become impatient and angry with Christian friends who do not keep up as much with them. They have a difficulty understanding how the system and why it works is always slowing down the progress of God. And usually usually people with the gift of faith have large amounts of courage and they deeply feel they're in partnership with God. I mean, if God is for us, who can be against us, they say. In other words, you that do not have the gift of faith, do not be quick to dismiss those people that are hearing from God because God does speak to people and give them faith. But you that have the gift of faith, what you need to work out is this. Stop taking every single question as criticism of God. People, for example, with the gift of administration just want to understand what you're doing so they can keep up and get the rest of us out of the desert into the promised land a little bit slower. The critical thing is, all of us, gift of faith or not, all of us must be attuned to what the Holy Spirit is saying because if God tells us to move, we must all obey and do it quickly or we will die in the desert. Now, as mentioned, faith much of the time is connected with other gifts, leadership, intercession, works of power, healing, permission-based gifts. So do you have this gift? Is this you? Are you gifted in this way? How we need your Jesus-centered, God-given courage, your heaven-filled understanding, your childlike trust in a world that is inundated by so much information and so much skepticism, post-truth, and this opinion and that opinion, how we need people just to say, I know who God is, and I know he's going to do that thing. Now, this moves us to our second gift, the gift of discernment of spirits, which at its heart, by the way, is a God-given sensitivity to truth, error, or evil, as one said. It's, by the way, not about information. I hear this all the time, and we're going to talk this through. People get this wrong. They, they, they say, oh, I have discernment. I knew this about this person. No, no, hold on. It's about source. It's what's happening behind the surface. Now, we're all called to be discerning as Christians, That godly discipline applies to all of us. We're to know God. We're called to know his truth, know what's non-negotiable and what's negotiable. Every Christian is called to give one's full allegiance and allow his truth, that is the scriptures, to permeate our lives and to walk in heaven-given power. We're called to be rooted in the living word Jesus as he speaks to us through his written word by the Spirit. 
That's why the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 5.14, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish what? Good from evil. Oh, I know we live in a postmodern time where everyone says everything's just an opinion and there's no such thing as absolute truth. Oh, yes, there is. There is absolute truth. There is good. There is evil. There is right. There is wrong. And God is the one who determines it because he himself is love, holy, and creator, and he has the final say on everything. And it's revealed here. It's amazing when Paul is having this conversation, he's going to local synagogues, 2,000 years ago, talking about Jesus for the first time. It says in Acts 17, 11, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was what? True. Even Jesus' best friend brought this home in a powerful way when he penned that little letter called 1 John. 1 John 4, 1 reads like this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John says, look everyone, we live in a supernatural world and we also live in a world of ideas and ideas have consequences. And we're all called to discern, to see, to test all teaching, ideas, worldviews, and supernatural experiences. Why? Because many false prophets empowered by unholy spirits and human wisdom have gone into the world. And here's the side note I need to say today. Many false teachers actually don't know they're false teachers. They think they're sheep, but they're really wolves, but they don't know. Never forget the context of 1 John. The Gnostics came on the scene just after Jesus had died and risen from the dead 30 years later, and they started teaching that the only way you could access God was through secret knowledge and all these rituals. And so they started saying, well, Jesus was the ultimate expression of this Gnostic thought. And they were having supernatural experiences. They were standing up in church and speaking in tongues and they were giving utterances and prophecies, but then their teaching was false. And Paul Paul and John and others were saying, be so careful. John here teaches us to evaluate every experience, every teaching, word and deed. We must look at utterance that comes from a person and look at the person inspired by any spirit. And by the way, every person speaking in any faith community and displaying supernatural experience then or now is connected to another force. Behind them is not some distant influence. There's a symbiotic relationship between them and spirit. For some, it's the Holy Spirit. For others, demonic. For some, it, of course, is just invented. Now, some of you who grew up in church, and I am one of them, I grew up in a much more conservative church, and I was taught all that supernatural stuff is dangerous, it's made up, it's psychological, or it's all evil, or God doesn't even act that way anymore, so let's just dismiss it all. Well, we don't do that here. That's good news, by the way good or bad. It's hard. It doesn't make our life any easier. But we choose to deal with the messiness of the supernatural here because the Bible says that actually is reality. In other words, we are called to discern, not dismiss. Now, the source matters. And the image I used a few weeks ago will help us clarify this. If you have a plug in a wall, an outlet, and you, of course, take, you know, your cord and plug it in, you get electricity and that thing now will work. And so what discernment is always working out is where is the electricity coming from to do the thing I'm seeing? Now, of course, the results in time will reflect the source, but not always immediately. And John says we're called to be discerning and not dismissive. And notice, John says together, we, the church, must test the spirits. And the implication is the spiritual discipline of spiritual discernment is the obligation of the gathered church and the leadership. 
But as you begin to read Paul, Paul goes further and says, beyond the act, the discipline of discernment, knowing the Bible, knowing what's right and wrong, and being in community, some have the supernatural gift called what? Discernment of spirits. So what's the difference? One author worked it out like this. The gift of discernment of spirits is the special ability God enables or gives to some members of the body of Christ, which enables them to know with assurance whether certain behavior purported to be from God really is divine, human, or satanic. Now, if you have this gift, you'll get a glimpse behind the scenes supernaturally in a situation, either by a mental picture or a verse will come into your mind or or you'll feel something. In reality, you might see physical symptoms that lead you to know something is wrong. You might sense demons in people, areas, places, or situations, or you'll actually know something looks godly, but actually it's human and it's prideful and it's fleshy, it's sinful. So the way we've worked out discernment here at C4, by the way, is this. If you're taking notes for Connect, this is when you need to start writing, typing, iPhoning, whatever. Discernment goes up, discernment goes down, and discernment goes to the side. Up, down, and to the side. In other words, some people know when God is in the room. Some people know when flesh is in the room, sinfulness, bad motives in the room. And some people know when the devil is in the room. And all three of these, by the way, are experiences of the gift of discernment. And actually, you might have one direction, two directions, or all three directions. So, so let me work this out in a few different ways. Number one, you who have the up one, God is in the room. Isn't that nice for you, by the way, that you get that one? Right? You have a sense of the palpable presence of God on a regular basis, and other people don't. So let's say we're here at the Ajax site. I'm speaking in this site right now, and we have three morning services. So let's say you attend all three services, 8, 15, 10, 11, 45. It's the same worship set, same host, same sermon, and you're going through all of them, and at 11, 45, you go, hmm? Everyone's like, you okay? Even a moment, you're like, woo. You're like, what's going on with you? I'm just fine. I'm just, like, Jesus is close. You're like, really? I thought he's close all the time. No, no, Jesus is in the room. Now the rest of us are going, okay, and you're like, Can't you feel him? He's right in front of me. So people with the spiritual gift of discernment knows when the palpable presence of the Father, the Son, the Spirit, God himself is in the room. And you will distinguish the difference even in environments that are exactly the same. The second version is about flesh. So let's say I preach a sermon. I'm preaching my heart out and and it's theologically right and everyone laughed and everyone cried and the introduction was great and three marriages got healed and 20 people became Christians and everyone grew theologically. But what you did not know is I was having a bad week and I was really angry and I didn't like those people over there, whoever you are. And so I wrote in in my message a section that I was targeting you, but no one knew. Someone with the gift of discernment would be like this while I was speaking. Everything he's saying is right. Something's wrong. Something's wrong, something's wrong. And everyone's like, that was a great message. You're like, sure it was, but mm-mm, something. And you're like, you okay? I thought it was fine. He's like, no, mm. Okay. Now, people with the other version of the gift will walk into a room and invite a space, an environment with a person, and you will just know evil is in the room. You might see it, understand it. You might hear them. You might actually see the demonic beings actually in the room. You might feel, you might go jet cold every time they're present. You'll know when they come and when they go. And that also can be a variation of discernment. Now, the critical thing you need to understand, though, and this is so important, is it is God who's giving you this insight for a reason. Now, both Jesus and the Apostle Peter used this gift. It's amazing. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus explicitly tells his followers he's come to die, and he's going to die a terrible death. And it says in verse 32, he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Don't you love the confidence of Peter? I'm sorry. 
I've just confessed you as the Messiah. I know you're the second person in the Trinity, but you're saying something wrong. Really, Peter? Really? Anyway, okay, great. So he takes Jesus aside, and then Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, and he rebuked Peter back, and then he said, get behind me, Peter. No, he didn't. He said what? Get behind me what? Oh, Satan. Whoa. Now, here's the thing you got to work out with discernment. Peter's talking, but the source of what he is saying is satanic. And Peter is saying to Jesus, you don't need to die. Oh, where have I heard that before? Oh, right, in the wilderness where Satan said, you don't need to die. Here's all the kingdoms, just worship me. So Peter, this is just not Satan's way over there going, Peter, tell him this. Satanic involvement in Peter's life. And Jesus listens to the words. He's a nice guy. Don't die. We love you. And he's like, behind that inspiration is satanic discernment. Now, years later, when Peter's restored, what's amazing is Peter has the same gift. And in Acts chapter 5, there's this story, and it says, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. His wife's full knowledge, with his wife's full knowledge, they kept back part of the money for themselves and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, watch, Ananias... How is it that Satan so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you've received from the land? Now, don't confuse this. There are two gifts at work here. Number one, Ananias walks in with all this money. Usually pastors are like, offering time, come. Peter's like, mm. Looks right at Ananias and says, Satan has what? Filled your heart. Oh, by the way, Ananias is a Christian. Just want to say that out loud. How has Satan filled your heart, discernment, source, and then word of knowledge, you sold a piece of property and you're not telling us the truth about it, information you have no access to that brings healing or humility. Don't confuse words of knowledge with discernment. Discernment is about source. And Peter says Satan has filled your heart. Now there's a huge lesson we all need to walk through, especially when it comes to power gifts like discernment. Some of you are saying, and by the way, you might feel like you want to get up out of the room while I'm speaking. Please don't. Some of you are saying, yeah, that's me, especially that last description of sensing things and places or people or seeing auras. Or, yeah, okay. But I want to remind everyone, spiritual gifts from our side and the other side will look really similar. Muslims and Hindus speak in tongues just like we do, except they're not speaking in the name or through the power of Jesus. Looks the same, sounds the same, different source. See, we, especially in the West, have been taught to evaluate things based on what we see, not what we discern. And most of us think something will be unnaturally evil if it's evil, not true. The demonic are called angels of light. They are called liars and deceivers. And all, uh, we all know this. Any good lie has good truth in it. Or the opposite is true for us who are a little bit more conservative. Well, God would never do something out of the box that's so weird that it violates my comfort or history. Have you read your Bible lately? God, God does weird things mm, all the time. So what we need to understand is, look at Peter and look at Jesus. It's, it's not the thoughts, it's not the statements, it's the source of it all. On the surface, they didn't appear evil. I'm here to give money to the church. I don't want you to die. But both of the sources in the end were satanic. Here's the point. If you have supernatural insight, that is, you see demons or knowing the emotions or thoughts or empathy of people, you've had this ability, but it was with you before you were a Christian. It is not from our side. All spiritual gifts are given after you become a follower of Jesus. That is, you have a personal relationship with Jesus where you've asked him to be Savior and Lord. Even if you grew up in, Christ in a Christian environment, you need to be aware. 
It doesn't matter how strong. Someone needs to hear this today, by the way. It doesn't matter how strong or vivid or real your experiences are. It doesn't even matter if they have led to good things in your life or good things to help others. The devil will play the long game and do good things that sound like God to keep you deceived and get you in trouble. So the question is, are you willing to give up any ability you have to Jesus Christ, any experience or any gift to Jesus, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, who died, rose again, and sits at the Father's side? That Jesus. There's lots of Jesuses in this world. We want him. Are you willing to give up anything that you've relied on, that you've made part of your identity so you can be free, that you will only have what Jesus and his spirit want to give you? Remember, the gifts are about God's glory and the building up of the church. Now, some of you are like, actually, no, John, I know I've got this gift and it's genuine and it's from the Lord. Great. Then I want to talk to all of you that think you have discernment. I need to talk to you about the stop, drop, and roll rule we have in our church because this is really important. See, here's what happens with people with the gift of discernment. Suddenly they realize God is talking to them and telling them things and they feel really excited like they walked into the matrix. They're like, this is awesome. And then the next mistake they make is this. They immediately presume they need to go do something after they've heard. So here's lesson number one. Who told you? See, we're not witches or psychics in this movement. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And so here's the important thing we all got to catch. We didn't discern the thing. The Holy Spirit decided in his sovereignty to tell you that thing. So don't think, oh, look, I discerned that. Say, no, the Spirit of God has allowed me to discern that. So there's a level, an oral building in of humility So Holy Spirit tells you this, which is incredible. Here's the next thing you got to work out. Don't run over immediately and start acting. Oh, I prayed and I sense there's a demon in you. That's not how to win friends, by the way. You know, I'm up here preaching out my heart, right? And I make a mistake because I'm human too. I only work for the guy who's perfect. And you walk up with there's somebody, great message, John. Your motives suck. That's not going to go well, service three, after I'm tired and have to go home with you. Like, here's my point. I'm being a facetious, sort of. So look. Stop, drop, and roll. Holy Spirit, thank you for telling me these things. Why did you tell me? Oh, do you want me to pray about it? Do do I need to go talk to a leader? Am I supposed to say nothing? Is this for my own protection? Am I supposed to see most of us who have discernment? And by the way, I have this spiritual gift. We, number one, start believing we're discerning it. No, you're not. You're not God. He's God. Let him help you. Number two, ask him why he's showing you. And then third, if he tells you to go act, then go in a posture of submission and humility. Hey, listen, you know, I was praying the other day and I had this really weird thing happening and and I could be wrong, but I just sensed this. Could I share this with you and could we talk about it to see if it's true or not? Do you see that versus behold, you have a demon hammer. (laughs) Now we laugh, but many of you sitting in this church have been hurt by churches that do that thing. So what's critical is character before gift and what's also critical is stop, drop, and roll. And remember that if the Lord is telling you, remember, why is he allowing you to discern? He's allowing you to discern so we know the presence of God is closer. He's allowing you to discern so someone could be free from the demonic, not so you think you're cool because you see demons. God is allowing you to discern so someone's motives could be actually purified so there could be more holiness and love and unity in our church. That's why we discern nothing else. Nothing else. Now this brings us to our third gift, the work of miracles, or the works of power. This is when God uniquely releases his power to demonstrate his power and uniqueness in a situation. One person writes, uh, this is when humans serve as intermediaries through whom it pleases God to perform powerful acts that are perceived by others to actually alter the ordinary course of nature. 
This is connecting to casting out demons on a regular basis, raising people from the dead, changing the course of nature. But notice, it's not healing. Lots of people confuse miracles with healing. They're two different gifts. Now, we see Jesus do this many times. We see many of his followers, apostles and non-apostles, do this time and time again. And throughout church history, there are many recordings of profound moments like this. Now, it can be used uh, for two reasons. One, to bring people to Jesus and also set those free who are already in Jesus. Writing on the first idea, we, we should come to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 2.3, this salvation, notice this, that was announced by the Lord was confirmed by us who those who had... Uh, uh, this salvation which was announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In other words, what you have is here, when miracles are in the room, they usually are there to authenticate the good news of Jesus Christ being preached. Jesus is Lord. He's the only way to salvation. And oh, by the way, in Jesus' name, miracle, 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 miracle. Wow, I should pay attention. Maybe this is true. So miracles are evangelistic. They authenticate that this God, that God that is being proclaimed is in the room and has a power. But also this gift can be used, of course, to set people free who already know God. Here's some different uh, experiences others have outlined. God will put you in position time and time again in which you must see the power of God demonstrated in order to vindicate God's name and character. You have an ability or sensitivity to discern what God wants to do in a given situation, a willingness to risk your reputation and trust God in very unusual ways. You have a deep trust and faith in God, an ability to deal with the demonic directly. When you pray, they leave people or situations quickly. Through these acts, people come to faith or they walk with Jesus in a deeper way. Now let me just camp on the, the demonic thing just for a second because there's misunderstanding that we've discovered even in our own community over the last few years. You don't have to have the gift of miracles to tell the evil one to leave. You don't need like the elite exorcism squad to kick down the door. And then, every, no, every single one of us who is in Jesus has his credit card. Everyone who knows Jesus Christ has the authority to tell evil to leave. Our own situations. Remember what the scripture says, Ephesians 2, 6. And God has raised all of us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So if everything is under Jesus' feet and I'm sitting with Jesus, I think we're just fine. How about you? James 4, 7. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil what? He what? Must flee. Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, stand. So in other words... You can say when there's a demonic encounter in your life, in your dreams, you can say, no, in Jesus' name, no, not here. But for long-term ministry where that happens to you again and again, not in your own family or your own turf, but you're doing the ministry, the gift comes into play because there's an ease and a power to it because that is what God has commissioned you to do. So let me end with this today. I want to remind everyone as we get going on the power gifts of a few things. One, the power gifts are not more supernatural than the word or love gifts. The gifts are the gifts, and they're all empowered by the Holy Spirit. Number two, the most important thing that we will learn in this series is about the character of Jesus. To hold the electricity right in your hand, the biggest prayer request in this church needs to be for holiness, not power. Character, not power. And by the way, let me just say this, the reason why, I love how God is doing this. God is preparing this church by letting us all know our gifts again and unifying us together. But the next major series we're about to do after Easter is on the Ten Commandments. Do you know why? Because God is concerned about love, holiness, and power working together so when we step out, we do it right. 
So the biggest thing we need to pray about together is character. And then the other thing I want to say, some of you, as I've been speaking today, oh my goodness, thank you so much, John. Like, that, now I understand, or yeah, I think so. And so we want you to come forward again like we've been doing week in and week out. If you have faith, if you have discernment of spirits, if you have miracles, come forward. We want to affirm you and pray for you. And you're like, oh no, I know the gift. I don't need to come forward. Yes, you do, because we all need to do this together. A blessing from the church. Now, some of you are like, oh, John, I really would like those gifts. Well, I say every week, you can come forward. And you can ask God, and you might say yes or no, but you have to be prepared for his decision, not what you want. But there's a few other things I want to say. Some of you, as I've been speaking, have realized that you're not sure about the source of your gifts. So as I've been preaching, we're not dismissing your experiences, but now we're questioning the source. So if you are wondering if your gifts actually might be not from our side, then we'd love you to come forward after the service is done and say, you know what, I've had exper weird experiences with discernment or, or miracles and stuff, but actually they happened to me before I was a Christian or I'm not sure about the source. And simply we want to lead you where you go, Lord, if it's not from you, I don't want it. I just want you to take it all out because I want to be clean and I want what you want. And some of you are like, you hear things in your head saying, don't go forward. Oh, if you're hearing that, run forward because Jesus wants you to be free. And then for lots of others of us, we just need to come forward and be prayed for because we haven't been here for the last little while or we've been traveling. So like we say, if you've got administration, helps, mercy, giving, teaching, exhortation, apostleship, leadership, shepherding, pastoring, evangelism, and faith discernment of spiritual miracles, we'd love you to come forward if you haven't yet and we'll pray over you. And I just want to say this last thing. And by the way, if we haven't mentioned the gift yet that you think you got, just wait. Uh, We'll pray for you in time. And if you've got one of these and another one later, double dip, and we'll work it all out. So would you just stand wherever you might be today, and let's take a moment to pray. Number one, Lord, um, you know, first thing we want to say is thank you so much that we're not orphans. Uh, thank you so much we're not left alone. Thank you, Jesus. You said that when you left, you would send us another just like you, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. So thank you, Holy Spirit. You are in every one of us who are a follower of Jesus. And you're in every Christian around the world. Just thank you. Thank you that we have guaranteed resurrection because of him, the conviction of sin, the power to live like Jesus, the character of Jesus, and the gift that Jesus used. So thank you. And we want to say this again as a community. Holy Spirit, you are most welcome to our church. You are most, we, and Lord, anywhere we've grieved you, Holy Spirit, anywhere we've grieved you, forgive us. You come, we want more of you, not less of you. Come Holy Spirit across all of C4 and what it means. Now, Lord, thanks for the gift of faith in some of us. And we need to work out a few things. Lord, um, for some of the gift of faith, they've realized they've been very judgmental against others who don't have it. And they expected the whole church to have faith like them. And they're realizing at this moment that's been sinful. So Lord, would you forgive them and help that to be cleaned up? But we do pray for those who have the gift of faith and it's been squashed or trampled on and they're struggling. Would you fill the gift of faith up again in them? Really bright, strong, in a way we haven't seen in a long time. And we pray for those who have discernment of spirits, that actually we would know and discern the presence of God more in this church, the presence of wrong motives in this church, and the presence of the evil in this church so we can be free together in Jesus' name. And we pray for those who have this gift or experience, but it's not from you, and we pray now you'd tell them it's not from you and you'd set them free now in Jesus' name. And all that junk would leave. But we pray for those that have discernment, that they would grow and be beautiful and this be a holy, profound moment. Uh, next, Lord, we want to pray for miracles. 
And thank you, God, that you are a miracle-working God. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so even in our time in Canada, you still do miracles. Thank you. But we're praying for real miracles, not fake ones. We're praying for those to be delivered. We're praying for miracles in ways we've never seen. And so, Lord, if there are us among, in, in this community, those who have miracles, would you begin to work that out? But may it be used for the glory of God. May it point to the Lordship of Jesus and authenticate the gospel of Christ and nothing else. So would you work this out? And Lord, continue to lead us, guide us, and protect us from false thinking, false expectations. Would you grow the spirit, of pre- the spirit of God's present among us? Would you give us more character? And would you meet us today as we pray in this moment in the name of Jesus? Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.